This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 52nd edition of Sports and Stuff on RainierAvenueRadio.world. Today I have a very special guest, Bruce Warzniak. Bruce, did I pronounce your last name correctly? You did. Thank oh, you. Great. I may have to call you Bruce W. as I told you before the show started. But I'll do my best with your last name. Bruce, uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, Bruce Warzniak is working the communications, broadcasting, and public relations sides of sports for many, many years. Bruce is currently a podcast radio host. In 2019, he launched CatholicSportsRadio.net. He's also the host of a show, Now Hear This Entertainment. A couple of housekeeping things going on here at Rainier Avenue Radio. Before I get back to Bruce, uh, my engineer today is Daniel Bellis. Daniel's also the host of the Fresh Juice Show at Rainier Avenue Radio. I want to mention we have a lot of good things going on at our Rainier Avenue Radio Sports Department. We have shows hosted by Rick Dupree, Granville Anderson, and Renault Laurent host a show, co-host a show. Uh, Masvita Marari hosts a show. Pat McCarthy and Masvita also host a show on the Seattle Metro Sports Conference. Uh, Mark Bryan has a fitness, fitness-based show, Fitness Corner. And Juan Cota and Mike Cobrezi host a sports show. My show, Sports and Stuff, um, a, lot of, a lot of my interviews are on my website, pluslawoffices.com. They're also on Mixcloud. Some are on the Rainier Avenue Radio.world site. And I welcome anybody's feedback about uh, my show and show guests and so forth, feel free to email me at pluslawoffices at aol.com or, or give me a call. You can also find me on Twitter and Facebook, Paul Schneiderman. Well, back to you, Bruce. Uh, Bruce Wozniak is currently a broadcaster for the University of Tampa men's and women's lacrosse games. Uh, Bruce served for over 10 years the director of communications for the International Softball Federation. He was a chief press officer at two Olympics games. Pretty cool. Bruce has worked as a uh, worked as the vice president of public relations for the National Cross League. He worked uh, for the Buffalo Sabers NHL franchise. He's also been a radio broadcaster for a couple pro lacrosse teams. As I mentioned, Bruce is the host of a couple podcasts. One is CatholicSportsRadio.net. I've had a chance to listen to a few of Bruce's shows this week. They're very good. Bruce also hosts Now Hear This Entertainment, which was launched back in 2014. I think Bruce, you've hosted over 200 shows on that, haven't you? 283 as of yesterday. <laughs> not too shabby. Not too shabby. Well, today we're having a good conversation with you, Bruce. Talk about your career a bit, sports, a little bit about sports and faith, and, and possibly some other stuff. I think we're going to have fun hitting a bunch of topics. And, Bruce, thank you for again, again for coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio.world. My pleasure, Paul. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, Bruce, um, I want to ask about something, and this might be kind of an interesting first question, or out-of-the-box first question, but I learned in my show I like to get into things outside of sports. Excuse the quip, but sports and stuff, we like to, kind of in a way similar to your show in some respects, we like to get into sports, but also other aspects of, of things in life. And I know that you went through, I learned, two open-heart surgeries. And I have another guest, a friend of mine, a former NBA player, James Donaldson, who also had a major heart episode a few years back. Can you give the listeners, Bruce, some feedback about some warning signs and tips and about just how to get through an open heart surgery? Well, warning signs, it all started with something as simple as chest pains when I was, gosh, I want to say 18 years old, maybe. And it just seemed unusual, especially when you are 18. So 
thanks to the great doctors that I had, they were able to catch very early on that, okay, there's something going on here that eventually is going to have to result in open heart surgery. And, you know, when you're 18 and you hear an expression like that, you kind of think, okay, yeah, whenever, some, sometime down the road when I'm old. Uh, <laughs> for me, it turned out to be when I was 20, uh, 26, uh, I think I had just turned, I think I just turned 27 when I had the first one um, and thought that that was it. And I was all set. And I thought that I had actually beat the system, so to speak, and, and outsmarted medicine because I had an artificial valve put in and they told me that the one that I chose, meaning an artificial valve, would mean that you'd never have to have it done again. Had I chosen a pig valve or a valve from a cadaver, they said, you have to come back in 30 years and have it done again. And I thought, no, I don't ever want to have open heart surgery again. Lo and behold, 10 years later, I ended up back in the hospital again, having a second open heart, uh, which they said that less than 1% of the patients that have the first surgery that I had end up with what I had. So it was very, very rare and not something that you could really, I don't want to say see signs for because we did see some signs, which were a lot of fatigue in, in unusual circumstances, meaning getting tired at times when you shouldn't get tired. Right. And again, thanks to the great doctors that I had, they saw what was going on and were able to, to diagnose it. But, you know, it was kind of ironic because the first one came uh, just in time for the NHL lockout. I was <laughs> I was working for the Buffalo Sabres at the time. Right. And uh, the team, the organization was, was wonderfully was wonderful to me during that i missed a real real long amount of time i think i was out of work for three months and it just shows you the amazing advances that have been made in science and and health and medicine that in 2005 when i had my second one i was working for the international softball federation at the time and that surgery was in july and i believe that three months later i was already in taiwan on business. So the fact that they were able to get me through something, and that one was the second one I should mention is more serious than the first one. But the fact that I'm, I'm here all these years later and, you know, have still been in and out of the hospital uh, for a lot of heart related things. If, if you had just met me for the first time and didn't know, you'd take one look at me and you'd never guess that there's anything like that that's gone on in my history. So I've been very blessed to get through it all and um, still be in, in the shape that I am. Well, Bruce, it's a very interesting story you have about some issues that you went through with, with your heart. And I'm so glad you're feeling better. And, and just the information you gave, I think, could help a few of my listeners. Just some of those subtle warning signs and all that. So I do appreciate you elaborating and sharing, Bruce, a little bit more about a couple of the open heart surgeries you've gone through. Yeah, you do really have to be your own best advocate because, you know, I've actually had some doctors who have said to me, you know, why don't you give this up? You know, why, why do you keep persisting like this? You should just be thankful for the way you are. And I say, I am thankful for the way I am, you know, but you're not the one that's still having dizzy spells or you're not the one that is getting short of breath and climbing stairs. You're not the one that has chest pains. And if you did, you know, you would go back to your doctor and say, why, after all I've been through, 
am I still having these episodes? And I said, you know, I just want to know what else is available out there. I'm not trying to insult anyone. I just want to know, have we turned over every stone? So I would encourage your listeners, you know, if you are having any type of health issues, any type of medical problems that you don't think you're getting the satisfaction from your doctor that you want, don't be afraid to ask those difficult questions and and go elsewhere. You know, if they do get offended, that's too bad because your health is more important than their ego. No doubt, patients need to be advocates for themselves. This is Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with longtime sports PR man and Tampa, Florida-based broadcaster and podcast host Bruce Wozniak. Well, Bruce, uh, you've worked in, in uh, lacrosse for a long time as a radio and TV broadcaster, and you're, you're currently a, a lacrosse broadcaster at the University of Tampa. You know the sport real well. And I don't know lacrosse that well. We do in Seattle have some good lacrosse leagues, by the way, but I, I don't know the sport that well. But I do read it's the fastest growing high school sports right now. Why don't you share with us, Bruce, a little bit, one, about maybe some facts about lacrosse that maybe a non-lacrosse fan would, would like to know. And do you see lacrosse taking off as a major U.S. sport in the years to come? I'll answer those in reverse order. Sadly, I don't know that anything, lacrosse or otherwise, will ever compete with with the four major sports, football, baseball, hockey, basketball. At the same time, it is continually growing. And I know that U.S. lacrosse, the national governing body for the sport, is always proudly reporting the huge numbers, the huge increases that they see in participation nationwide year after year. And it's no surprise, here in the South especially, I I see that in Tampa alone, you see more and more kids playing lacrosse in areas where you wouldn't expect to see it. You know, you would typically expect to see it in affluent neighborhoods because that's kind of been the stereotype of the sport for many, many years is that the Ivy League schools play it, but now you're seeing it played at all kinds of levels recreationally and you know, division one, division two, division three, high school, college, you name it, people are playing lacrosse and and I think the reason why it's attractive is a few things. Number one, you know, you had the for a short period of time you had the Washington Stealth indoor team up your way. And the indoor game is particularly attractive because people who are fans of hockey, and I know that Seattle is going to be getting an NHL team in a couple of years. That's right. People identify with it quickly because it looks like hockey on artificial turf because there's five players out in front of a goalie who's standing in front of a net and you're trying to use a stick to shoot something into the net. So you go, wait a minute, maybe I can pick this up after all from a fan perspective. And because it is a very quick-moving sport, there's a lot of goals scored, that's always going to be appealing to spectators, whether it's field lacrosse, which is the outdoor game, or box lacrosse, which is indoor. And so participation-wise, it's also a great sport just in terms of the athleticism. There's a lot of running in the game. There's some great stick work that goes on. I think the players really enjoy it. You're not playing football where you're carrying around all kinds of equipment on you. They do obviously take great lengths to make sure that the players are safe with helmets and gloves, things of that nature. But at the same time, it really does emphasize speed. So for well-conditioned athletes, it's a good sport to get into where you're not just running track. You're actually getting to, I'll say, bank bodies with people a little bit. Great feedback, Bruce, about the sport of lacrosse. I like it. But this is sort of a, you mentioned something, it's kind of a segue to my next question. So lacrosse is definitely a very athletic game. Some, though, say about lacrosse, unlike 
basketball is there's not so many extra dimensions, like maybe dribbling and rebounding, making a basket. Do you see lacrosse as a way, Bruce, as a sport that more people can pick up? Because there's certain sports that are really hard for a lot of people to pick up. Does that, does my question make sense? Is lacrosse a sport that a, that a decent athlete could pick up or maybe even an average athlete can pick up and get pretty good at? Yeah, I want to mention that on the indoor side, there are an awful, awful lot of NHL players who played lacrosse at one point well, in their in their younger life, in their younger career. And, and a lot of it is because the Canadians, indoor lacrosse is actually the national summer sport in Canada. People don't know that. They just assume that hockey is the national sport. Hockey is the national winter sport in Canada. But indoor lacrosse is the national summer sport there. So when there's no ice on the rinks for players to skate and to play hockey, they're playing lacrosse. And so it is easy to pick up because, like you said, all these nuances of basketball and baseball, don't get me wrong, there are strategies. You don't just pick up a stick and go out there and shoot it at the goal and say, now I'm a lacrosse player. But at the same time, it's not a real expensive sport like hockey is to get into in terms of equipment. And it's also not something where you look at something like basketball and you might have 11 guys on a team, right. whereas lacrosse rosters are huge. So there's lots of opportunity for people to play. And I'm saying people because it's men and women. This is not a male-only sport. And, and I've just been so excited to be a part of the University of Tampa program and watching the sport blossom here and how quickly they have made it such a successful program year after year. And this is a program that's only been around for less than 10 years, beating schools that have had lacrosse for 25 years. Love it. Great, great stuff. If we had more time, I would would hit on lacrosse. If I get back one day, maybe we can talk more about a lot of these subjects. Paul Schneiderman, again, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with veteran sports broadcaster and PR man and podcast host, Bruce Wozniak. Did I pronounce your last name correctly, Bruce? Just throw the R in there. I'm sorry. Wozniak. Wozniak. I'm I'm struggling. I told you I struggle with names sometimes, Bruce. You've been very patient with me, which I appreciate. Well, Bruce, you were... Oh, likewise, likewise. (laughs) Bruce, you worked for 10 years as Director of Communications International Softball Federation. Tell us a little bit about what the International Softball Federation does. And I see that this is really neat, that you worked as the chief press officer, I believe, at the 2004 and 2008 Olympics for the Softball Federation. Tell us a little bit about the the Softball Federation and what you did working as a chief press officer at the Athens and Beijing Olympics. I'm glad you asked that question because I remember when I was first starting there and so many people were kind of looking at me with this look that you knew they wanted to say softball you're going to make a full-time living out of a softball job but it was in fact the world governing body for the sport so just because we happen to be based in the united states and specifically in west central florida had nothing to do with local softball leagues or anything like that this was you had 125 countries under our umbrella and those were all the national governing body for softball in those 125 countries that were part of our organization so we were working to grow and develop and promote the sport worldwide we did things like world championships we did things like clinics we were sending out equipment to what i used to call underdeveloped softball countries who couldn't get it they didn't have the sort of accessibility that we get so spoiled with and have 
here in the United States. I remember one time when I made a trip to Serbia and our director of development warned me. She said, I think they have one softball field in the whole country. And I kind of went, huh? And just kind of scratched my head like, uh, I, no, that, that, I'm, I'm going to dismiss that. I'm not sure we're understanding each other. And in the United States, people don't realize, but if you look, next time you travel by airplane, look out the airplane window either when you're going up or when you're coming down, and you're going to see plenty of softball fields once you get at a level where you can look out and see around the area that you're taking off from or that you're landing in. And sure enough, when I went to Serbia, they had one softball field in the whole country. So that's kind of at the low end of the spectrum. At the high end of the spectrum was the USA's, the Canada's, the Japan's, the Australia's, China. Countries like that that were very successful in softball had very dominant national teams and would go to these Olympics that they were fortunate enough to be a part of. And so I was there in 2004 in Athens as the chief press officer in 2008 in Beijing in the same role, which meant that I was at every softball game every day. And you're talking morning, noon, and night, you're at the ball field. So you come home and people say, how was Beijing? How are the Olympics? And you go, well, <laughs> I was watching every softball game every day. And I don't, when I say watching, I don't mean just sitting there with popcorn and my feet up in the stands. You know, you're on the front line with the world's press. So these folks are all covering lots of sports. They're all on deadline, and they're picking your sport to come to the stadium and watch and cover the game. And you need to make sure that you've got players available, coaches available, your federation president available to do press conferences, to answer questions, to do interviews. So it's a lot, but I'll tell you, there was a tip that I was given before I went to Beijing by someone that I used to work with in the Buffalo Sabres PR department, a friend of mine who said, you know, you're in a very exclusive fraternity. He said there's only 28 Summer Olympic sports, and there's only one press officer for each of the 28. So he said, you're one of only 28 people in the world that are going to be doing what you're doing when you're there. He said, I know it's a busy time, and I know there's a lot of demands on that job. But at some point, just kind of take a step back and exhale and look around and be proud of yourself and understand where you are and how significant that is. So that was that was some good advice that I did take to heart when I was over there. Well, those are great experiences. It strikes me, though, you didn't have a lot of time to be like a restaurant reviewer in Athens or Beijing, but you, you took in a major job and in, in being overseen that the press aspects of softball. And Bruce, a couple of things in interview I've learned from you, a whole bunch of things. One is I did not know that lacrosse is is the summer national sport of Canada. I also did not know there was only like one softball field in the, in the whole nation of Serbia. So there's there's a whole bunch of things here that are, that are interesting. Um, real quickly about softball, Bruce. Um, I, I see a little bit of a dichotomy going on where Major League Baseball is kind of going through a movement where there's a lot of pressure on it to revitalize. But it seems like softball's getting a little bigger, in particular women's softball, which is big in Seattle, University of Washington. Do you see a little dichotomy there that maybe baseball's going through some kind of growing pains, but softball's kind of taking off a little more? Do you think I'm off base with that thought? It is interesting. At the same time, I think you have to realize that the money that's involved versus the money that's not involved. So, of course, MLB has more money than they know what to do with, and so that's always going to cause headaches. And I think something about the game has got people to the point where they're just not that interested the way that they were way back in, I'm going to say, the 1980s. So this is not a new problem that's happened in the last couple of years. I think this has been 
something that MLB has been challenged with for a number of years now. And softball is a lot more relatable because it's not athletes that are making millions and millions of dollars a year and national TV contracts where you can find the sport any day, any hour, any channel. And so I think that people are playing softball in great numbers and they're able to watch and relate to and because the college game does get such great exposure from ESPN I think there's really kind of that down home appeal you get the the people who are directly involved as well as the alumni and all these boosters just really turn out and support in great numbers and it is helping to raise the profile of the sport you know and as you said ironically at a time when when it's it's bat and ball sport on on the professional side major league baseball is definitely going through some evaluation period where they're going to have to get things turned around because i know that a lot of people are saying that Baseball is no longer America's national pastime. It's, it's the NFL. Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainy Raven Radio with longtime broadcaster and media expert Bruce Warzniak. Well, Bruce, I want to get to a couple of your podcasts. I can't believe we only have so, many, so much time left. And I want to ask you a little bit more about your Catholic sports radio show, uh, catholicsportsradio.net. I recommend my listeners take a look at it. And... You focus on interviewing people of the Catholic faith and about their connection to sports and so forth. And I have a question. I'm not Catholic myself, but I have a lot of Catholic friends, and I know I've been to a lot of Catholic churches and stuff. Is sports and Catholicism, are they linked? I mean, there's so many amazing Catholic schools that have wonderful athletic programs. Is there literally some kind of link between the Catholic faith and sports? Well, I want to just kind of explain why I launched the show in that format. And it really has a lot to do with in the podcasting industry. We all know, and and I should mention that as you talked about earlier, I now hear this entertainment podcast has been going since February of 2014. So I've done a new episode every week for almost five and a half years. And it's given me a lot of exposure into the podcasting industry. I speak at podcasting events around the country and We do know that the more niched down your show is, the better. So I could have launched something called Christian Sports Radio, but I really wanted to narrow the focus. And is there a tie between Catholicism and sports? Well, the fact of the matter is that the Catholic Church is losing people. It needs to get people back. And so I thought this would be a unique way to show people that, you know, you should not worship these athletes. There's so many great characteristics to sports i'm a huge sports fan as you've been saying i've been participating in sports throughout my whole professional career whether it's through public relations or broadcasting and so i have nothing bad to say about sports i just want to make it clear that you should not bow down to and worship big contracts and the idea that if i make it to major leagues then i will be happy there are great qualities that you can learn about sports but you should put your faith first and there's so many quotes that you can find pope john paul ii has a long 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 line a long list of quotes that he said during his papacy that have to do with sports so it's not so much that the two go together as that Hello? If you look for commonalities, you'll find a lot of commonalities that can help you see that things like a gifted athletic body or just the concept of 
not putting yourself first, which comes from your faith life, but a coach will then tell you there is no I in team. So there's so much overlap that I thought that if I did a sports show where I'm just talking about wins and losses and statistics, I'm going to get lost in the sea of sports shows. There's so, so many out there that you can find that talk about all that. So I pride myself in this is different. This is not a show about wins, losses, statistics, the stuff that goes on in the field. Instead, it gives listeners an opportunity to hear names that they may recognize and say, wait a minute, Joe DeLamalure, who played all those years in the NFL for the Buffalo Bills and the Cleveland Browns, he's in the Hall of Fame. And instead of talking about playing all those years in the NFL, he's talking about his faith. Yes, because it's that important to him, and he puts such a priority on it in his life, and that's what all these guests are talking about. So I wanted people to see that out there in society, when you're participating in sports, or even if you're not a sports fan, there's still something that you can take away from the show because it's applicable to your daily life. And so you don't have to be Catholic to listen to it. You don't have to be an athlete or a fan. You don't have to be and so on and so on. It's a show with appeal because it's not another sports show where they're talking about trades or free agents or injuries or those type of things, training camps and so on. Well, I listened to a few episodes of your show, Bruce, CatholicSportsRadio.net. Really enjoyed it. I listened to your interview with Joe DeLamur, and it was fascinating just uh, hearing about his career and what his uh, Catholicism has meant to him, and it, it, was, it was a great interview. So, Bruce, I got a question for you. So do you see anything really unique to being a Catholic athlete as opposed to being a Protestant, Jewish, or maybe Muslim athlete? Well, not necessarily. On the very first episode of my podcast, I told people I will be looking for recommendations for guests because once you all of a sudden say you have to be Catholic to be on the show, all of a sudden that narrows things down and everybody always wants to talk about Tim Tebow because he is very open about his faith and that's wonderful, but he's not Catholic. So he's not a fit for my show. So I am Catholic. That's the only faith that I've ever known since I was born. So that's all I can talk about. But at the same time, that's why I say you don't have to be Catholic to listen to the show because if you're Protestant, if you're Episcopalian, whatever it is, the bottom line is you're going to relate to the underlying message here is how we can blend our faith life with our sports life. These guests just happen to be talking to each other, to Bruce, because they are Catholic and they have that in common. But it's not like we sit there and talk about what makes Catholicism so unique to sports because someone could probably launch Protestant sports radio or, and the list goes on with all the different denominations, and people will just hear guests that are that denomination on that show. But for... The Catholic audience, and like I said, from the business side, as a podcaster, I know this is going to work because it's more niche down. Bruce, great stuff. we got like 30 seconds left. What does the future hold for uh, Bruce Wozniak? Well, I'm speaking at the Second Global Congress on Sport and Christianity in October in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I hope to get out on the speaking circuit quite a bit more and still plan to fully continue with Now Hear This Entertainment, which your listeners can find at nhte.net. Bruce, great stuff. Really enjoyed our conversation. I wish we had time for for more stuff, but I'm up against a 27-minute clock at RainierAvenueRail.world. But thank you for coming on. I hope you and I stay in touch. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you so much.